Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by OzoneTel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Becca. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world. I am pretty excited today to be the next half hour with Annette Franz, the founder and CEO of CX Journey. And today our topic is going to be around finding that CX mentality and bringing it into a business and making it stick. So Annette, can you just kind of start off with telling the audience we are, I think we're almost 200,000 subscribers in 112 countries. Tell us about you and what you're working on in, in your career, please. That's awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And, and to those of you listening, thank you for joining us. I've been in this customer experience uh, space since the early 90s. This is actually my 30th year in this profession. I started my career at J.D. Power & Associates back in 1992 and have spent the better part of the last 30 years running consulting organizations for some major voice of the customer vendors. I had three stints on the client side. And then in uh, early 2017, I decided to you know get out and hang my own shingle and start my own business. So I spent a lot of time coaching and consulting companies on customer experience strategies, starting with a lot of the foundational elements that I think we'll be talking about today, especially the culture. Writing, I do a lot of content work. I've written two books. And speaking, I'm, I'm a keynote speaker as well. So it's been a fun ride over the last 30 years, but especially over the last five to six years, uh, having been out on my own. Well, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad you're with us. And I know you've been evangelizing for a long time that culture is really the foundation of business. Can you maybe elaborate on that for folks that may not understand that? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is the foundation. It's the foundation of the business. It's a foundation of your customer experience strategy. It's the foundation of we start talking about customer centricity. That's where it's at, right? It's really culture is how we do things around here. It's really core values plus behaviors, and then socializing and operationalizing that. So that ultimately, like I said, is how we do things around here. And it's really the DNA of the organization. Now, I know it depends on the industry and maybe the size of the company, but what are some maybe commonalities that's required for businesses to establish that customer-centric culture? Well, I think the commonalities lie in that equation, that culture equals core value plus behaviors. And it really means that you've got to have some core values that represent or take into account that relationship have with your customers. And then probably, or especially important to that is defining the behaviors, right? Even if you don't have a core value that specifically has the word customer in it, outlining those behaviors, the, the acceptable behaviors and the unacceptable behaviors for each of those core values and wrapping those behaviors around not only how we interact with each other, but how we interact with our customers as well. And that really will drive the change. It'll drive this mental, this mindset shift that we really need to have in place in order for us to be customer-centric. Yeah, that's a great answer. Now, obviously, a couple of years ago, we all had to deal with you know, the COVID pandemic. And I think we've seen customers that already had this culture in place kind of adapt, maybe be a little more flexible because they had this in place. So aside from something, hopefully, an anomaly like that, what challenges do businesses face when they're trying to either either build this or change what they have? Well, I think some of the challenges start with really understanding, I'll tie the first challenge specifically to the pandemic and post-pandemic, right? This whole notion that, you know, if we have people working hybrid or if we have people working remote, our culture is broken, right? And this whole notion that 
culture is only what happens in the building, right? In in the office. And, and that's not the case. It's really important that this is why we define what the culture is. This is why we have core values plus behaviors, because regardless of where you are, that's what we're going to do. We're going to live and breathe those core values. We know how we need to act and interact with each other because we've taken the time to define all that. So, and I think the, a lot of the questions that lie around or the challenges that lie around designing a customer-centric culture really lie in not understanding what that means, it entails, and how to build it, right? Because customer centricity is something that flows through the veins of the organization. And I hear and see the times where people will talk about customer-centric person or a customer-centric message or a customer-centric department. And we can't have just that, right? That's not how this works because customer-centric means we put the customer at the center of everything that we do in, in, in its simplest form. And if we just have one person or one department doing that, then the customer isn't at the center of what we do. It has to be enterprise-wide because if it's not, then the customer feels it. If they are interacting with different departments or different business units, it feels like they're interacting with different companies from one department or one business unit to the next. So that is definitely one of the challenges. So really, I think not understanding what it means and what it really entails is probably one of the biggest challenges. And it's the reason that I wrote my book, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, we see in our business a lot of disparate silos where maybe the customer success team gets it, but maybe the sales team doesn't get it. The people collecting the bills don't get it. And then it just sounds like a disjointed experience. So I appreciate that answer. That's why we build it into the culture, right? Because that culture is the DNA of the organization. If it's not built into the culture, then it just becomes something that a person does or a department does. So it really has to be part of the culture. 100% agree. Now, you also talk a lot about customer understanding. That may sound obvious to some folks, especially the types of viewers that, that we have on the surface. But to take it a step further, how does that really relate and tie into that customer experience? Yeah, absolutely. I say that customer understanding is the cornerstone of a customer-centric organization or customer centricity. So a cornerstone is that first stone that's laid in the foundation of of new construction. And then every stone that is laid is laid in reference to that cornerstone. And I think it's such a great analogy for customer understanding. So the foundation is culture. That cornerstone is customer understanding. And then everything else we do refers back to that. And the way that I define Customer centricity is there's no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing that customer voice in, without asking, how is this going to impact her? How is it going to make her feel? What values is it going to add? What problems is it going to solve for her? And I think if we have customer understanding as the cornerstone, again, discussions, decisions, design, innovation, everything we do, we bring that customer voice in and do everything in the best interest of the customer. So that's so that's my that's my thought process on customer understanding and why I call it the cornerstone customer centricity. Absolutely. And have you seen situations where maybe businesses believe that they're customer-centric, customer-focused, understand the customer because it relates to their processes? But then if you dig deeper and maybe survey their customers, the customers might not necessarily agree with that. Do you kind of see that disconnect sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just going back to customer understanding for a second, I always say there's three ways to do that. I call it listen, characterize, and feedback and data and those kinds of things, personas and then journey mapping. But the problem is, is that companies will, they do these things. It's an exercise for them. It's a checks for them. But the real critical part of that is doing something with what you learn and using what you learn, using that data to deliver and to just deliver a better experience or a different experience or a personalized experience for your customers. So 
I think there are definitely organizations out there and I've run into them <laughs> that tout that they are customer centric, but in reality, they're not. They're, they're doing some of the things, but I write about this in, in my book, right? The 10 foundational principles of a customer centric organization. And, and there's this checklist. <laughs> there are these 10 things that need to be happening. And there's probably more. There are probably others as well, but it's about the culture. It's about leadership being committed and aligned. It's about the employee experience and making sure that your employees are taken care of so that they can take care of your customers. So there's a lot of things that go into being customer-centric than just saying we're customer-centric, which happens. We see people sometimes throw technology at the problem or they'll throw a process at the problem or a person, a role. We now have a director of customer experience, but they don't really change the culture from the inside. So it ends up being superficial. So that's that kind of aligns with what we're seeing. Yeah, you know, and that you hit on you hit on a pain point for me there when people throw technology at it because technology is it's a tool, it supports, it facilitates, it helps to deliver the experience, but it's not the experience itself, right? The experience is very much human. It's about the emotions and the feelings and perceptions that a customer has about their interactions with the organization. And that technology really just helps to deliver it or you know, supports and facilitates it. So yeah, that's a great point. Let's not just throw technology at you just nailed what I, you know, the reason I wake up in the morning is that what you just said is making sure that we're not just throwing technology at every problem in the world and the robots are already taken over enough. We still need to be human about this, right? Exactly. To switch gears a little bit, I mean, not really, but a little bit, let's talk about the employee experience because this all ties in. And I've been in the contact center space for a while. You have an unhappy contact center agent. You probably have an unhappy customer. How does that energy of the employee, not just in the contact center, but anywhere in business, affect what we're trying to accomplish, what you're all about, basically. Huge. I think when we talk about employee experience, we also have to step back and really understand what that is. It's not about perks and ping pong tables and things like that. When we talk about employee experience, the definition is very similar to the definition of a customer experience. So it's the all the interactions that the employee has over the duration of the employment with their employer, as well as the actions and capabilities, You know, those things that help them <laughs> enable or block them from doing their jobs. And a lot of it, I always split that up into sort of the soft stuff and the hard stuff that they have to have in place to have a great experience. The soft stuff is what's the feedback, it's the coaching, it's the communication and how the work that I do is impactful and leadership caring for employees and my well-being and my wellness and all of that. But the hard stuff is the having the tools, the systems, the processes that aren't broken, policies that aren't outdated, those kinds of things to do my job. And to your point about how that employee really impacts the customer and their experience, when I first start working with clients, I interview executives, customers, and employees. And the most impactful statement that I heard from employee was a few years back when I was doing these interviews, and I had employees with this one client say, we don't have the tools we don't have the resources, uh, the policies are outdated, the processes are broken. We have what we need to do our jobs, to do them well. And this is the important part, to serve our customers the way that they deserve to be served. And that to me was like, it was one of those moments where you just sit down and you're like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So employees get it, but we have to equip them with what they need to do their jobs and to do them well. And that's, like I said, it's both the soft stuff and especially the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in your sense, we are, obviously there's a lot of work to do in this area. Do you think things are getting better or are, have we become a victim of our own, whether it's technology progression, corporate profits, whatever the reason might be where we just need to hit a bottom line? Are, are things getting better, worse, stagnant? How do you see things in the overall picture? It's a great question. And I thought we were really seeing some progress before the pandemic. As soon as the pandemic hit, I mean, it just went downhill, right? And then 
there was that moment where suddenly companies realized or leaders realized, hey, we need we, <laughs> we we need our customers. So we really need to take the time to learn about them and really understand them and deliver a better experience. And then I think it's just gone off the deep end again. It's I have heard over the last several months, I have heard far more stories and I myself, far more stories of bad customer experience than I have of good. And I think going back to your our last conversation topic. It has a lot to do with this whole employee thing, right? That not high, being able to hire enough people, not being able to hire quality people, whatever it is, we just understaffed, burned out, all of those things. And I see it with my kids, and they both work in a fast food restaurant, and they're just burned out. And they, you know, at the end of the day, they, <laughs> they yeah. lose patience with the with their coworkers and with customers because they're so short staffed that they're just working more hours than they really should at this point. So there is a connection there. There's absolutely a connection. So we need to figure out how to get back on track with the employees and the employee experience. And then I think the customer experience will see a shift there as well. So can I assume from that answer that you think quiet quitting is real, not just a media buzzword or something that sells clicks and you know papers and stuff? Yeah, you know what? And it goes beyond quiet quitting. It just goes beyond people just don't want to work. But I think quiet quitting is... I do think it's a buzzword because I think that's been around for a long time. A long time. Like if we look at, for example, employee engagement, (laughs) I mean, see how many employees are disengaged. That's been going on for a long, long time. That's not something new. And so I think we just, with this great resignation, reshuffle, re-whatever, and then everybody wants to have some kind of a... I think we should spend more time trying to fix it than (laughs) we are trying to come up with catchy words to describe it. But this notion of quiet quitting, I think, has been here for a long time. So yes, I think it's a buzzword. It's really, we're talking about disengaged employees. Sure, sure. Let's just you know, kind of change gears a little bit to journey mapping. Do you see companies really focused on this or, or what do businesses need to do better in terms of really understanding the customer journey? Because it's so easy just to look at wins and losses and profits and the KPIs that are maybe sexy, but are businesses really looking at that whole journey? I'm finding that more and more companies are. And more and more companies are not just doing the journey mapping, but they're figuring out how to then also do the journey orchestration, right? Getting ahead of it and, and using the data that they have on their, about their customers to really get ahead of and know and know where the customer is and guide them to the next best action down that journey. So I definitely see that being used. I still see a lot of <laughs> I still see a lot of people journey mapping who just either are doing it wrong or don't do anything with what they're learning. But yeah, I think it's definitely being used a lot more today than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I think one thing I've heard about 12 different definitions for journey mapping. So I think it's sometimes going to that next level of what does that mean to you and how can we kind of help that? One thing that I would say, if we're going to define what journey mapping is, to your point that it's people look at it differently, it's not life cycle, cycle stages. It's none of that. If we capture with customers, this has to be done with customers and with customer data, What the customer is doing, thinking, and feeling from point A to point B, whatever that interaction or transaction is, then we're journey mapping. But if we're looking at life cycle stages and that's all just too high level and too far away from what we're actually trying to understand and and design and do better. Back to something you said earlier, 30 years in this business and just at a high level, what has changed the most? And then maybe what stayed the same and maybe will be forever because it's just the nature of who we are as people. Yeah. I think, you know, when I first started back in 1992, we didn't, the term customer experience wasn't even a term that we used, right? We talked about customer satisfaction and customer loyalty. And I think that's 
one of the things that has those two terms pretty much stayed pretty static over the years. I think people started looking at other things like NPS and all of that. But the notion or the concept that we want satisfied customers and we want, especially we want loyal customers, has really held on for the last X number of years. Those concepts have been around for forever. Customer experience, the terminology came around in the early 2000s, where even as I was working with some of these VOC vendors, we were having the conversations of what's the difference between VOC and, and CX, right? And obviously, there's a huge difference. But for some reason, that became a debate for some folks. So And then just as it's evolved and the profession has really become with the CXPA and with a lot of these other associations and certifications and those kinds of things has really sort of validated and justified the profession. So I think that's been a nice change over the last 10 years. And and like I said, CXPA has done a lot of work to make that happen. That was awesome. We're pretty loose here. So I'm going to ask you a harder one though. I like doing this, but I ask you a harder one is... What does this look like in 10 years, right? You have a crystal ball, you have the CX crystal ball in front of you. What does this look like 10 years? Does anything change then or is it still, you know, the same tenants are true that you you just mentioned? So I'm going to just say, I hope it's changed. I hope we no longer have to prove our worth and why we're here and why we're talking about focusing on the customer experience. I mean, if I, you know, poof, and, and here we go and made that wish, it would be that we don't, we're probably not even talking about customer experience anymore because it's just what we do. It's how we do business. And there's no need to really focus on that word and making it a thing because, like I said, it's what we do. We just, that's how business is today. We know that we are in business for our customers and we want to deliver that experience that will have them coming back every time they need us. So, and that would be my wish. Will it be that way? Well, let's see. I've been here <laughs> in 30 years and and we're still struggling to really prove our point and prove the ROI and prove why, especially the profession, why we need CX professionals in the organization, you know, and those kinds of things. So wave the wand. We no longer have to do that. So that would be my wish, but we'll see what happens in 10 oh, years. That would be fantastic. I talked to Nate Brown a couple of weeks ago and Nate said some, he said some really awesome things about you, but I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked him. Who are some maybe peers or folks in, you know, that, that you kind of rub shoulders with that you're still learning from and growing from and kind of maybe we should be talking to in the future? Yeah, there are a lot of folks. Well, I first I'll say there aren't as many that have been in the this profession for 30 years, but there's a lot of very, very cool folks out there that I learned from. And a lot of them aren't even in this profession, right? They're outside of this profession. And a lot of them are business leaders that are just doing amazing things, right? So Nate and Nate is awesome too. He has just evolved as well. And, and it's a, a lot of fun and uh, really enjoy our conversations every time we talk. I would say folks like obviously like Gene Bliss and Shep Hyken and Jeannie Walters, um, all out there leading the leading the way. Augie Ray, he's awesome. If I go look at the leaders, Gary Ridge, who has just left as CEO of WD40, his position on what a culture and especially a customer-centric culture looks like. Bob Chapman, CEO of Barry Wayneler, a $4 billion organization that he has just transformed and has really made it a people-centric organization. Folks like that, that I follow and, and read their stories and listen to what they're saying. You know, Howard Schultz, I mean, Starbucks, I mean, he's had some ups and downs, but we're always learning from him as well. Those are some of the folks that I look to and learn from. Like I said, folks outside of this, you know, Randy Conley, some leadership folks, uh, Ken Blanchard, Randy and Ken just wrote a book just recently, pretty awesome. 
I think that's one of the things as customer experience professionals is we need to do is be more well-rounded and not just look and think about CX, but also look at employee experience and leadership and culture and just analytics and technology and I and just think about some of the other things that are peripheral but are important to the work that we do. Okay, great, great. As an accomplished author, what are you most proud of? Has somebody maybe quoted you or just the reference or just the fact that you've done it? What really, what fulfillment do you get out of being an author and, and sharing that knowledge with the world? I would say all of the above, all of the above, you know, and anytime that somebody lets me know that they've read the book and their thought and they're using the book day in and day out or that I've had so many people tell me, you know, Hey, I've got your book here on my desk. It's dog-eared and not highlighted and all of that. I mean, ultimately that's what it's about for me, right? It's so funny. When I was a kid, my grandmother used to push me to be a teacher. She wanted me to be a teacher. And I was like, no, I don't want a teacher. (laughs) But ultimately that's what I've become. I mean, writing two books and taking the experience of the work that I've done over the last 30 years and writing the book, writing blogs, doing webinars, doing those kinds of things. So it really is special to me when people say, hey, I really appreciate that you've written these books and you've documented all this and I use it as a guidebook on my desk every day. So that's really cool. That's great. All right. Last real question. What advice would you give your younger self? If you could do the time travel and go back to 92, what would you tell your just starting out self about anything? It doesn't have to be about CX necessarily, but it can be. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I could go a lot of different directions. And some of them might be a little bit negative than others, just because of some of the experiences that I've had over the years. But I think probably the most important, well, maybe not the most important, but a couple of important things are very similar to what I just said about books, right? And, and people around you and things like that, and who you're learning from is is don't just get so, don't just put the blinders on and just think that this is your focus because there's a lot of other things outside of what you're doing that are really important to what you're doing. So take the time to educate yourself on more things than just the zero. But I think probably one of the biggest things, and, and it goes back to a compliment that I had gotten from a former employee who said, and I don't remember the exact words that she used, but it was just Annette is a leader who cares about her people, has their back, and you know those kinds of things. And I think that's a really important thing. I, 30 years ago, I never would have thought about that. I didn't know where I was going. I wanted to be a veterinarian 35 years ago. So here I am, you know. But I think that's an important, that was an important thing to keep in mind over the years was just take care of your people. And just that's what it's all about is just helping others grow. That is a great final point. So as we come to a close here, we're almost at time. I know we always just like to end with, you know, kind of your time to shine. I know we've already covered a lot of ground, but what do you have going on? What are you working on? This is kind of the shameless plug. Do you have another book, anything you can kind of maybe tease the audience with? What's next for you? You know what? This latest book has just been out for six months. So I'm taking a little bit of a breather, although I am working on a fun project with uh, Nick Glinsdahl. We've got a couple of books in the works there. So those will be some fun and insightful and useful handbooks that um, we're hopefully wrapping up in the next uh, month or so and we'll get them out there uh, shortly. Other than that, I'm excited about some of the speaking gigs that I've got coming up and just getting out in front of live audiences again to get the message out there. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. And again, for the folks listening, we were joined today by Annette Franz, the founder and CEO of CX Journey, also author of two books. I'm sure if you're a CX person, you have already heard of her. I've been following her for a while. And Annette, I could talk to you forever, but we have the 30-minute-ish window. So I really thank you so much for your time. Any final words? 
No, I would just say thank you. I really appreciate this. I we absolutely could talk for hours about this, but uh, thank you for having me, and thanks to the audience for uh, listening. All right, thank you so much, Annette. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by Ozone Tell. If you enjoyed today's show, visit ozontel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.